Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, them. And today we're talking to Taylor Labresh, game creator and curator, podcaster, and well-known fan of fishing and its depiction in media. Uh, he's here today to tell us more about Descent into Midnight, a game currently up on Kickstarter. Thank you so much for being on the show, Taylor. Do you mind introducing yourself a little bit more for our listeners? Hell yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, Ray. And thank you so much for, like, Insert Quest here for featuring Hake Bro Dragons and with Fire Thy Affections Have a Wing. Like, I I love the show that you make, and it's uh, it's a joy to be on here, um, like, at doing the talking instead of doing listening. So, yeah, uh, I am Taylor LaBrush. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I am the host for the Game Closet podcast. We're an informal chat show with queer and LGBT plus folks in the tabletop RPG scene. Um, uh, I make amazing uh, games over at riverhousegames.itch.io. But then the reason why I am excited to come on and talking to you today uh, is Descent into Midnight, which is currently on Kickstarter. Um, we we funded in the first day, which was mind-boggling and super exciting. And um, I am just like way stoked to talk about uh, the game, um, why I love it, all the amazing people that are involved in the project and the stretch goals that we have lined up. Because uh, we, we still have 27 days left of the campaign to go. Uh, and we want to just cram as much awesome stuff into Descent into Midnight as we possibly can. Yeah, it's been so impressive how quickly you've gotten your met your minimum funding goal, especially considering what is currently going on on Kickstarter, which is that we have, in particular in relation to role-playing games, is we see all of these ZineQuest projects happening. So mm-hmm. it's particularly impressive that you have managed to reach your uh, minimum funding goal when there's also all of these other amazing projects that are currently mm-hmm. happening uh, on Kickstarter, so doubly uh, successful, I feel. Hell yeah! Um, well, and that just gives me so much energy because it proves that the market is is hungry for the kind of games that I love. Like I, I am backing at least ten of those Zine Quest Kickstarters right now. Like seeing everybody from like Celestial Bodies, Orbital Mechanics to uh, I know Venture and Dungeon isn't a Zine Quest one, but like that one I still love. Thistle and Hearth, which is like a project from my backyard, essentially. Um, Natalie and Avon uh, live in Minneapolis, which is a river away from St. Paul, where I live in Minnesota. Um, uh, Heaven Has No Taste uh, by Australia's own Luke Wildwood Games. Uh, like, seeing all of these amazing projects that are out there. Um, fuck, I'm sorry, did I say Street Magic, Space Goblins, A Touch of Glamour, uh, Procession? There's like- <laughs> so many amazing things happening. Uh, there's all, and Trophy is on Kickstarter at the moment, yep. and then a bunch of stuff that is related to Trophy yeah. is coming out through Zine Quest as well. Yeah, uh, Trophy, yeah. I will shout out another Minnesota project. Jesse Ross is a Minnesota native. I ran into him at Con of the North this weekend. Um, just like wild times are happening and um, like people are getting excited about it. And like, I, I, I want to steer away from saying like, oh, Descent to Midnight is so successful because it, it funded while all of this other stuff is happening. Because like, I don't think that it's one or the other for people. I think it's like, we're at a point now where people are so excited about these kinds of games that they're just like, yes, I want this. I want this. I want this. Like, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. And so yeah, like, indeed, I, I, it yeah. is definitely not one or the other. And I think we're, 
this proves that because I definitely know that if I had been running a Kickstarter for the first time, I know that you've probably, well, I know that people on your project have yeah. run multiple Kickstarters. Um, but I know that if I was running a Kickstarter for the first time and I saw this like huge RPG <laughs> thing happening as well at the same time, I would have been like, oh damn, there's no chance in hell. But this proves that there are, that it is a big enough industry and that there is enough mm. money there that we can see, uh, like hundreds of projects mm -hmm. getting funding at the same time. Oh, uh, yeah. and I think that that is optimistic and I think that you have the right idea there and that this is... Yeah, it's a wonderful sort of explosion of game content. Um, speaking of wonderful explosions of game content, you've made a lot of RPGs uh, so far yeah. in your career. Lots of, uh, I guess you could call them micro RPGs, but that really just describes mm -hmm. size and doesn't really describe anything about what links them together. Um, yeah. Uh, what first got you interested in making games why did you first start making games yeah so um it it's kind of a twofold answer the first is that i was listening to a podcast uh that's no longer active called critical success uh it was on the one shot network and it was a companion show to one shot uh that james would do um, to kind of dive deep into like critical theory for role-playing games. Uh, and this was like more than five years ago I was listening to this show. Uh, and they announced a design challenge that was running in conjunction with someone's like D10 system or whatever. Um, and I was like, oh, I can, I, I can do this. Um, and like I made something that like was not great, but like I did it and I had fun with it. And um, it, it, it propelled me further and like just knocking down that first domino to say like, okay, that was not as hard as I, as it, as I was thinking it was, I didn't make something great, but hell, this is the first time I've done this. Like, I'm just going to keep doing this. And I had a, f a lot of fun with it. Um, and so I, I started to look at like, what else could I do uh, in terms of designing games? And what did I really enjoy about that? Like D10 hack that I made. Um, and I, I had made the game, um, as a essentially a fan fiction hack of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book series, which is still my favorite book series in the entire world. Um, and the thing that made me energetic about it was was putting into um, into this this hobby that I really loved and enjoyed all of the things that I loved about this book series. And I was like, okay, well, cool. This was game design as fan fiction. I can do that. Um, and so I I started making games that captured what i loved about fan fiction um so i wrote a hack of monster hearts like a, a little module of it um that was for like the marauders era of, of harry potter and it was like well you're you're you know in school as as james and lily and peter and sirius and and remus and etc etc et um and i was like okay this is really fun but i liked hacking monster hearts more than i liked writing harry potter fan fiction and so it just like turned into me hacking games and and making these things uh as an expression of my love for game design um and looking back on it now five years i can realize that's what was going on if you'd asked me at the time i would have just been like i don't know i like stories um so it, yeah i I think that that energy is still kept through me and like there there are things that i make now that are like weird um 
let these mermaids touch your dick maybe uh is a game that i wrote about a tweet from arabelle uh and it was just like a way to say this is an energy that i love i'm gonna make fan fiction about this energy and that fan fiction happens to be turned into a game yeah definitely you actually made one of uh my favorite pieces of uh game design content and also but also like not a game that i've ever played but it is a game uh, and i love it so much and that is your one word RPG. yeah yeah um, i often bring that up um <laughs> when people start talking about like a weird rpg and i'm like mm, that's not that weird when people are like <laughs> oh man there's this game this is rpg that somebody wrote and it uses playing cards instead of dice i'm like mm, have you heard about the one word rpg <laughs> like what? It's like it's got one word in it. It's an entire RPG with one word, one word of content. That's it. It's one word, and it's an RPG. And they're like, but, uh, 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 but how? And I'm like, well, it's one word, and it's an RPG. And I it also bring, really- yeah. And I also bring it up when I'm talking about when people t- have discussions about what is a game. I will often mm. be like, well, I mean, what is a game is anything that is described as a game. But because yes. that is where I am at. I come from a sort of an arts background i come from a performing theater background uh and to me what makes i took a while but what makes art art is you call it art and what makes a game a game is you call it a game because by calling it a game you suggest Mm -hmm. that it is meant to be interacted with uh and so you can write a poem and call it a game and suddenly the lines of a poem are things that you're meant to respond to in some Mm -hmm. way uh, just by calling it a game. You don't even have to write, please respond to these things. <laughs> uh, you call it a game and suddenly the person's like, uh, okay, so it's a poem, but it's a game. So what am I meant to do as I read it? Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of your work captures a similar energy. Um, Hell yeah. I'm yeah. very flattered to hear you say that. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so I guess that background of hacking stuff is probably what led you to being part of descent into midnight. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about what your role is in on descent into midnight? And then we'll pivot to talking about what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I am the design lead on descent into midnight. Um, so there are three main developers, myself, Richard Kreutzlandry and Rich Howard, uh, who are all working on the project. Um, we have different titles, but essentially we are all designing the game. Um, I am the design lead, Richard's our project lead, and uh, Rich is our concept lead. Uh, so essentially what that means is Rich co- and as with all things, there are exceptions to this, and, and we prove this quite a lot. Uh, Rich comes up with an idea, uh, and really this is kind of how I started working on the game, is at Gen Con, he said, Taylor, I have this idea for weird fish underwater stuff and like you're all linked together psionically and you have this sanctuary that you're all protecting and i was like wow this sounds cool as hell uh and i went home and i wrote 40 pages in in one sitting uh of mechanics and and design and advice and like theory about this game um and Richard's there uh, uh, from uh, like a project management standpoint. We were just joking the other day in our group chat that like he's got to have the hours for his project management certification just from the work on Descent into Midnight because like he's been kicking ass um, at like getting everything roped together, uh, making sure that everyone's on top of their to-do lists. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I put down a large chunk of the text of the game, but that's not to say that Rich and Richard haven't been like as active in steering where that game goes, uh, as I have, because they, you know, Rich design, Rich and Richard both had a lot of work to do in creating our playbooks for the game. Like Rich, uh, Rich Howard managed to create my favorite playbook from any Powered by the Apocalypse game ever in the Touchstone um, it's, it's something that I am deeply, deeply in love with. Um, and we are always constantly like working the game, reworking the game. Uh, not so much anymore. Now, as we, you know, approach a, a version of it that is, is coalescing into the finished form. Um, uh, but like having all of us actively working on something, um, ha- has been so, so exciting uh, for, for creating this. So, uh, I, I think your listeners can understand that it's a powered by the apocalypse game and it has something to do with like weird fish things that might share a mental link, but, um, Um, (laughs) so I guess that would be the perfect time for me to ask you, how would you pitch the game right now to our listeners? How would you tell them in less than an hour? Cause that's how much time we have what the game (laughs) is. Yeah. So Descent into Midnight is a powered by the apocalypse game of underwater alien oceans. You play um, psychically linked guardians in a community, uh, in an ecology that has never been touched by humans. So um, what that means essentially is like, be weird, enjoy your love of the ocean or other aquatic life. Um, we, we really encourage players to uh, to create their own wildlife, to create their own uh, ecology world. Um, world building and character creation is something that is as integral to the experience of Descent into Midnight uh, as the like quote-unquote play part of it. Um, uh, I, I put play in air quotes because technically world building and character creation are part of, like, they are play. Indeed. Um, but they're not but- <laughs> necessarily what people that have played a bunch of role-playing games think of as yeah. play especially if you come from something like a D background mm-hmm. you'll generally think of world building as something that someone else has done and yeah. then you interact with whereas yeah. in powered by the apocalypse games in particular but also a bunch of other games world building happens as you play and also has mm. everyone involved yeah and it's it's a requirement for Descent into Midnight. Like I think a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games, you can kind of skate by as a player without getting your hands dirty in world building, um, which is fine if that's your deal. But Descent into Midnight, we really we really encourage you like get in there, make stuff up. Um, we you know I I don't think that I've talked about it, but like I stole the the Firebrand's framework for a number of our different mechanics, like. There's a, a fiddly bit in Descent into Midnight for making predators, uh, which is essentially a Firebrands mini game. Uh, like you go around and you at, you take turns answering questions like, uh, "What is unique about the predator? What is what is scary about them? What ties them to your corruption and what ties them to your current story?" Uh, and then the the final question of that mini game um, is the final like moment before the predator is introduced and that question is who do they go after first uh and so it's like you you all as players create something entirely new from these questions um and uh we do the same with our world building and character creation uh so when you first start you have a blank slate uh you know your your world is an empty community playbook 
uh, and uh, as you get ready for play, you've all created your characters. Uh, the guide will a- ask you questions like, um, what is the most defining feature of your ecology? If this were a movie or a documentary series, what would be the first thing that the camera shows you? Uh, and then you draw that on your community playbook. And you continue answering these questions and drawing on your playbook, kind of like the quiet year or like companion's tale, um, to where you have a fully fleshed out ecology, like an entire uh, ocean reef or mangrove yeah, forest. Yeah, I was going to say it might be like a reef, although mangrove <laughs> forest is a great one to mention because mangroves feature yeah. a lot where I live. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, the encroachment of... Uh, mm-hmm. European colonization has destroyed much of that mangrove environment yeah. to the point where people often forget that like it doesn't look like this is meant to be a place covered in mangroves but it used to be mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah that's such a, a wild ecology to me because I'm from like the frozen north Minnesota and mangroves are just this like they are an alien world like these these trees that grow into the water and the the channels that they dig into uh, the current digs in and, and naturally forms and all the, the wildlife that lives in the roots and, and just like the weird crabs like walking on their trunks and, and boughs and like the fish that spit out those crabs with like arrows of water. Like that whole thing is just alien to me. And I'm like, yes, mangroves, give me more of them. <laughs> yep, pneumatophores, which are yeah. the specialized little spears that often stick up in mangroves uh, when they're... They're, they're actually part of the root system of mangroves, and it's a way for them yeah. to get above the salt water. Um, yeah. Wow. God, hell yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, it's interesting you mentioned the thing about, I mean, you mentioned the predator, and then you uh, talked about the community thing, and those are mm-hmm. both kind of elements that are, those are similar to elements that I've actually struggled with in integrating into mm. uh, my large mecha game that I'm working on. In particular... Yeah there's like a bunch of, there's like different setting questions that you Mm -hmm. choose and that sort of builds the tone for your game. Mm -hmm. And one of them is all about, uh, there's a rival. You have Mm -hmm. some like wild rival that is like obsessed with the group in a sort of, Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with Gundam, it's very much a char. Build your (laughs) own char. Yeah. Every Gundam series must have a char, even if it's not universal century. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Uh, that predator system is an interesting thing to mention because I hadn't heard of that. I knew that there were systems like this. Yeah. But I hadn't heard of a specific call out to one. So now I have a place where I can go and look and I can look at your predators you and I can look at your firebrands and maybe I'll also do the community. Cause I'm like, what if there was, a, what if you had a ship that you all lived on? Because that's also a common feature. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's cool. I love to, I really I mean, that's a component of these sort of interviews that I really love is like seeing Mm. what other designers are doing and integrating it. And you mentioned like, you mentioned Firebrands early on. And like, Mm -hmm. for me, the Powered by the Apocalypse game that most Mm. informs my Powered by Apocalypse game when I make it is Magical Fury and The Warren are the Mm. two uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games that I love to look at uh, and dissect like, Magical Fury is seen has seen moves, not individual yeah. moment moves. Like you're like you you say the scene that you're doing, and then you describe it in broad strokes and do your move uh, rather than a scene being made up of multiple moves. Which is not what I'm doing, but it is very yeah. interesting. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, 
what other Powered by the Apocalypse games have influenced Descent into Midnight or even other games? Um, obviously, yeah. all games ever could be included <laughs> under that umbrella, but specific ones that you would feel like you need to credit or call to. Absolutely. Masks was a huge one. Um, the things that we really loved about Masks, and all three of us are big like Masks fans. Which uh, is a superhero child yeah. RPG. Well, as yeah. in, you play teenage superheroes, not it is focused for play on children. Although maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Masks really influenced uh, our design philosophy of making all of our mechanics based around the emotions of our player characters. Uh, so in Descent into Midnight, you do roll with stats on most moves, um, and those stats are things like hope, community, drive, altruism. Uh, and as you, as you, you know, engage with, uh, with corruption and danger and with action and story, uh, even as you engage with, with each other or the fallout of your own actions, uh, you may take on conditions that modify those emotions. Uh, so if you take, uh, if you take a condition to calm, you might suddenly become angry. Uh, or if you take a condition to community, you might suddenly be not suddenly you might become isolated. Uh, and, it are, was, the, uh, are the conditions prescriptive? Are there specific conditions that correspond to specific yeah, attributes? Yep. So each, yeah, each attribute has its own uh, condition. So they they are paired up, uh, and the conditions will will impose uh, penalties on rolls with those stats. Um, so it's a it's a way of both reflecting that in the performance of your moves, but it is uh, a you know. Uh, a direction to the player of yeah. you are isolated, act isolated. I just kind of arrived at the same space in my large mech game. We had yeah. non-prescriptive conditions for ages. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of moves that at the moment, because they haven't been rewritten, say mm. when you succeed, whether yeah. that limited success or um, unqualified success, unqualified, whatever, a 10 or a 7 <laughs> to 9, um, yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, it, it'll say something like, uh, give them a condition. And like, if you fail, it might say, give them a condition, but you also take a condition. Um, mm. And then there's like a paragraph describing what a condition can be. And in play, it turned out that because those conditions were non-prescriptive and didn't have, and kind of were more role-playing direction than anything, mm -hmm. uh, people, even me as the game maker, often forgot that it was a, like what it did and would yeah and would kind of just ignore it and play out those narrative consequences regardless mm. and so people tended to avoid them and so the solution that we've arrived at is conditions need to be a prescriptive list rather than you yeah. put anything you give them a condition tell us what it is it's like you give them a condition pick one that corresponds because otherwise you're just going to freeze yeah yeah and finding that like that way to direct but still inspire, I think, is something that was important for us in Descent into Midnight. Um, my my partner really loves uh, forum role playing, so uh, she and her best friend have have a three year long uh, Tumblr RP for uh, Harry Potter AU, uh, which yeah, wow. is 
yeah like that three years like i don't i haven't had a game go one year um and i i have lots of i have a group of friends that play like really long-term rpg stuff i'm like i'm so happy that you're having fun but that just sounds horrible to me after 12 sessions i'm like cool i am bored new game system next story Yeah. yeah but like she the thing that she loves about like forum rp is that she has all the time in the world exactly. to craft to craft every single post to write the the exact perfect word um and so when she comes to role playing games uh there is that kind of fear of being on the spot um and i think the way that we've addressed that with descent into midnight is is being very evocative with all of our verbiage in in the game both in terms of like flavor text but also in mechanics um yeah so are there other games going back to our umbrella question there about yeah. what games have influenced you are there other games that have helped you in that regard uh, in in catering to that specific um problem i guess yeah definitely problem. Problem in a, like, technical <laughs> sense, not problem in a this is bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of Apocalypse World games do this pretty well. Um, definitely Apocalypse World itself is very, like, it drips the genre that you want it to be. Um, Monster Hearts is another one that I think does a, a really great job at giving you the feel of what the game should be. Uh, Masks, again, is is one that we really love. Um, but as as far as, like, what games do I think really inspire that drive for Descent into Midnight? It's a lot of these smaller games, especially like lyric games or micro games where you have to really concentrate everything. Um, And you can't just say like, okay, now go role play. You have to say like, here is exactly what I want you to feel. Um, And uh, the fact that a lot of these, these games like, don't care if you play them. Um, the words take on a lot of like heaviness uh, because reading is the experience uh, a lot of times. Um, and it, I, I think that just kind of learning that that is the way that I design well of the the reading the word is important um, means that I I can like free myself of saying does this mechanic make sense? Does this uh, is this balanced or not? And say like I don't necessarily care about that. Like I'll let Rich and Richard, you know, futz with that. But like I want to get this word right. I want to get this sentence the perfect way. Like I want to tell someone and convey um, what I want ha- to happen at their table through how I give advice and and position moves and and um, use the words in that sense. Yeah, definitely, one hundred percent. I feel that i wrote a game <laughs> recently that was is two pages and two paragraphs of those two pages are game mechanics yeah. and the rest is evocative text it is like mm-hmm. yeah it is like two yeah it's like yeah. one part mechanics and then four parts evocative text mm-hmm. um because that was more important to put you into the space of what you needed to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, really, the- really it's all mechanics, but <laughs> in terms of description and yeah. Yeah. Um, what are, I guess we know that this is powered by the apocalypse game. Um, yeah. And we know that powered by the apocalypse games often have 
I guess the best way to boil it down would be roles or playbooks is often used. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of those playbooks that feature, that are the core of uh, Descent into Midnight? You called mm-hmm. out one earlier. You, yeah. s- you mentioned the Touchstone as your favorite playbook from any Powered by the Apocalypse game ever. Absolutely. The Touchstone is, it, it is everything that I want to play uh so that one rich howard did a lot of the work to to bring that one to life um and i read it and i was like i put immediately in the group chat i was like rich i'm so mad at you right now <laughs> you, you've made the perfect playbook <laughs> like i'm so jealous that this is not one of the ones that i that i like came up with at the start <laughs> this is the uh, playbook for the game yeah um the touch god the, i I could do an entire hour long podcast about the touchstone and why I love it. But um, yeah, new, so we new we podcast have, series where we just do episodes where we break down the playbooks for descent into midnight limited series podcast. You know, I would love a podcast where it's like, I, I know that there's one, uh, God, is it called the hard move? Um, it's, it's a podcast where uh, the hosts bring people on to talk about a move. Like, tell me Jeez. about your favorite powered by the apocalypse move. I feel like um, most of my favorite Pad by the Apocalypse moves are going to be ones that I've written because I have like a strong emotional connection to them. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, God. Well, this move is all about how the ending of Terminator 2 makes me feel. <laughs> so I put that into my game. Anyway, yeah. the touchstone. What is the touchstone about? Yeah, yeah. What, is, what um, is it for the story? It is a playbook about joy and inspiring joy uh and hope um so the flavor text for the touchstone is corruption can never extinguish the wonder of life as long as life maintains hope true deep and genuine compassion can transform not just a single life but the world in which it lives you are the innocent that bef- that befriends the grotesque or abandoned the ally that reminds those around them their unique gifts create a better world and the stable friend providing shelter against the crushing tide of despair, um, which is laser targeted at me specifically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, because that is really where I find a lot of my energy is, is being that like that hopeful, positive, like push forth, rah, rah cheerleader for like friends, for people who, whose work I love and admire um, it's, it's what I really love about, uh, the team that Descent into Midnight has is that all of us are, all of us are the touchstone. Like we are all, we end every single like game design meeting with like, love you guys, like love everybody. Um, there, there's so many heart emojis in our group chat all of the time. Um, it's just this, like, it's a playbook about loving your friends and like celebrating their successes, uh, and like being, being happy even when they're sad uh, and like having that rub off on them and like using that energy to create a difference in the world around you. Um, I, I love the touchstone. Um, my, my favorite time, most of the time I, I do descend into midnight. I am running it. I am the guide for the table, but um, the times that I get to play it, uh, I, I played a touchstone and like, I don't think I will ever go back. Like that's the, that's the playbook that, that I'm going to play for, forever whenever i play it um i am that way with uh the berserk the barbarian sorry from uh dungeon world it is the only dungeon world playbook that i ever want to play because that's a really good one is that the the one with your like the bloody fists move 
Uh, I don't know if it's that, but it is all about uh, the part of it that I really love is the fact that it it leans very much towards a Conan depiction of barbarians mm-hmm. and like an aspect of when you make the character is choosing your appetites, the things which you must have, the things that yeah. you that lead you to being an adventurer. And there's like <laughs> greed and like food and things like that. And uh, violence is one, I think. Uh, yeah. And then like one of the... And you get like extra XP or something when you indulge in them. But then there is mm. a there's a move, an advancement that you can take where it's like pick two more. Yeah, <laughs> have more Herculean yeah. appetites. Uh, so it's fantastic. Um, I did have a question while you were talking about the um, touchstone, which was yeah. I wanted to know because you talked earlier about how. Um, you are sort of like making up you are mm-hmm. you are building the world of your ecology and building that up and i've seen some of the stuff on twitter talking about the kind of things that characters <laughs> can look like and yeah. i wanted to know if it, within the playbooks there is a are there guides or for lack of a better word touchstones for <laughs> what kind of shapes or what kind of things uh, or mm-hmm. body features might be common with certain um, roles or playbooks within the game. Like, does are there are there commonalities yeah. or themes that present themselves in what a touchstone looks like? Um, and how much do you give the players permission to break those rules if they exist? Yeah. So um, we. This is something that I really love about writing playbooks, and I'll write playbooks until the cows come home. Uh, in that. Uh, we don't tell you like these are the these are the only options that you do like this is what a touchstone looks like uh instead what we do is give you uh, a choice of uh alliterative adjectives um so for for example uh, you know i don't have the touchstone in front of me but i remember the seekers um because we uh this was very fun. We ran a poll on Twitter to create a character for the descent to midnight kickstarter um and their name is the bark of a mangrove tree protects it against fire and parasites, uh, or Barky for short. Um, nice, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and we we had people choose between these uh, these um, sets of alliterative adjectives, uh, things like giant and genial, or um, monstrous and muscled, or or I think live lithe and lustrous is another one. And so lithe it's these and lustrous. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, Hell yeah. Uh, and it's, it's these creating these, these two, uh, two looks. And like when I, when I wrote them for playbooks, I wanted to find something that was like visually striking and then something that either like twisted it uh, or, or changed that or added a new connotation to it. Uh, so like gi- gigantic and genial is like this, this massive creature who is warm or like old or, uh, or happy, like that's soft. Um, it's the gentle th- giant. Yeah. Archetype. Sort of like that. Yeah. Um, and like lithe and lustrous, I think is, is one that, that lends itself to, uh, to images of like ferrets of the sea or like these eels, uh, swimming through the ocean, um, and and we we give these to people and we say like you know we're not going to tell you you're a reptile or you're a mammal or you're a bird we're we're going to give you these these pairs of adjectives and say like what 
what creature is lithe and lustrous? Like, what can you imagine uh, that is, um, you know, scaled or skeletonous? Uh, like, what do you come up with when you read uh, these images? And then um, as we, we go through the playbook, you'll also pick your gifts, uh, which are things that only you can do. These are like your special superpowers almost. Uh, things like reality tunneling or um, matter manipulation. Yeah, all right. Like, <laughs> yeah, these like wild existential powers of of affecting your world uh, or the people around you. Um, and like, what does that mean for a lithe and lustrous character to have the ability to tunnel through reality? What might that make them look like or or not even look like? We've had players uh, play characters that aren't physical, like someone in one of our very early playtests um, wanted to go as weird with it as, as he could and played the concept of echolocation. Um, and yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like, it's just continued. Like that pattern has kept going. Well, like I guess. So uh, my understanding of the, for lack of a better word, the play loop of the game yeah. is that you are, and you mentioned it earlier, I think you are for guardians essentially mm -hmm. of a, uh, of uh, uh, an environment, of a biosphere. Uh, yeah. And so I guess there's no reason why you can't be just a spirit <laughs> of that place. And therefore, if you can be a spirit of that place, you can be like a manifestation of a concept, I suppose, because why yeah. not? Why can't yep. you be the love that whales have for krill? Hell yeah. Um. I we had a game where someone played uh so there's this thing in in the world that we we tell you that is a world beyond worlds or like a spirit realm or something it's the echo we call it um and we like to say like well if you if you think about echolocation like this is this is the image that bounces back when you when you touch the echo you get to see what's on the other side there um and we had someone play the the bubble interface between our world and the echo. So like not even a physical body, like not even something tangible, but like this, this thing, this energy between the echo and our world. Um, and like, if you're, if you're hearing that and going like, okay, this is too weird for me. I'm out. Like we've also had people be like, I love octopi. Here is a list of 20 facts that I love about octopi. For example, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to play an octopus. Like, you can do that too and godspeed for you like hell yeah like dive in pun, no pun intended uh to what you love about like life and nature and the underwater um and just like i'd be so i'd be so <laughs> torn between coral and penguins and turtles yeah. it would be so hard that i'd just end up being some weird <laughs> turtle penguin with like a reef on its back now you're thinking a descent into midnight that sounds like a great character the reef backs <laughs> in uh subnautica are like my favorite thing they're like oh. these underwater floating islands that are also jellyfish hell yes they're so good it's a shame that most of that game is survival horror because there's so much yeah. stuff that looks pretty and then it's just like no nope, that's terror i'm filled with terror and i want to <laughs> just be enjoying the ocean yeah uh, um, I think you might have mentioned this briefly, and we've talked about the fact just now that you are guardians, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, 
well, actually, that's probably a good word, really, guardians of this ecology. Mm-hmm. What are you protecting it against? That's a very good question. Um, and this is not a vague answer at all, but corruption uh, and corruption with a capital C. Um, this is something that just like your... Similar to the darkness. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 we call it corruption and we kind of leave it up to you to say, what does that corruption look like for our world? Um, so the, one of the last things that you do uh, as part of world creation, um, once you've drawn your map of your community, uh, we give you two tokens, uh, two pairs of tokens. Um, one, we say, these are harmony tokens. Put them on your map uh, in areas that bring you joy, in areas of your community that are particularly life-giving. Uh, put these where harmony exists in your world. And then the other two tokens that we give you uh, are corruption tokens. And we say, put this where there is fear, put this where there is corruption, put this where you know where life is difficult in your world. Um, and then uh, based on where you put harmony and corruption, you have a good idea of what you are trying to protect and what you're trying to protect it from. Um, so we, we often get corruption, uh, you know, it, it's very easy for one shots to say uh, corruption is some, sorma, some form of pollution uh, or some form of decay. Uh, but we've also seen tables play uh, with corruption is the fact that people don't talk to each other as much as they should. Uh, or corruption, um, one of my favorite games uh, in a mangrove forest this was, was uh, corruption was the idea of a perfect shape. Um, there was a hole in the mangrove trees in the canopy that was a perfect circle and it never changed. And so the sun continuously baked down on the plants in that circle and killed all the life there. And they, the players had to figure out, well, what in the echo is preventing uh, that like the natural wind shaking the trees, like what is keeping uh, keeping this circle perfect? And it was the idea of perfection was the corruption for that game. Yeah, wow, wild. Um, yeah, because my I would be tempted because of who I am uh, <laughs> to make the corruption. I would probably try to keep it alien, but I would be tempted to push for the corruption to be an alien depiction of humans coming in mm-hmm. contact with this place. Um, do you feel like that would fit within what you imagine corruption to be? Or might that be a feature yeah. of a different game? So anyone, anytime anyone asks me if something is possible or if it fits in Descent into Midnight, uh, I give like the half joke answer of like, well, I don't know. I don't make the rules. Um, <laughs> Because of course I make the rules. I'm one of the designers, but at the same time, like the author is dead. So like, if you have an idea for something that that you want to explore, you know, don't let any of us stop you from doing that. Um, that said, we do we do highly encourage folks to to stray away from any anything that could anthropomorphize any feature of your game. So like, we we encourage you to push yourself and think beyond the human. Mm. Um, one of the, the promotional quotes that we've been using is from uh, Orion um, at Dungeon Commander on Twitter, uh, who played in a game that will be released as part of our promotional stuff. And I'm trying to find that quote because it really rules. Uh, is it on your website? It's on the Kickstarter page, and I have it right here. Oh, it's um, all of the things that you think you know about the world completely shift. And so the world building ends up happening on this level of continuous surprise. Uh, and like, if you push yourself to to stop thinking about well like what 
what humanity might make of something like you get to move into this completely surprising, completely new area of play. Uh, and it, it, it can be really rewarding um, to think like, okay, well, am I having, am I including this element in the game because I want to, or because it's like great for the story or the fiction or because it fits, or am I including this because it has an easy analog to humanity? Mm. Um, not necessarily saying like, you shouldn't do it if it has an analog, but like interrogate why that has a place in this story. Um, if the answer is because it makes it easy for me to role play and tell this story, that's great. That's perfect. Include it. But if it's just like, it's because I haven't thought of something weirder yet, then think of something weirder yet. Do that. That's always, most of the time that's going to be uh, a more rewarding uh, part of play. Yeah. I think that's an excellent answer to that question. I know that, for myself, I often see whenever when I see fiction that is about aliens or about uh, robots, uh, I often get annoyed when there is a human point of reference character that mm-hmm. you don't really need there. It's yeah. just that that person, that character, is just sort of there because the people making this media, which is often media that has been made by a corporation mm-hmm. uh, feel that it's not going to appeal to people without that point of reference. And so mm-hmm. the narrative is often weaker because of that. Um, yeah. This is often true of Transformers media, but that is not to say <laughs> that humans are always pointless in Transformers media. It's just that yeah. sometimes we don't need a human. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are other examples of this as well, but yeah, it's an interesting, Mm -hmm. I think that you make a really good point of try and keep it alien and try and keep Mm -hmm. it strange and try and keep it weird by pushing past that instinct to get human. And like the things that we want people to connect with are the themes of the game, like emotion, hope, community, togetherness, like friendship, uh, like strength through numbers and through support networks um, you know, uh, building up your ecology, working to make the world a better place, which are all very human values. Um, and we want those to float to the surface as human values. And it's very easy for those to do that when there's no other human frame of reference in the game. So like the more alien we can create the stories and the characters and the situations and the world and the predators, um, that, that assail that world and the corruption even, um, the more that players search for human themes. Um, it's one of the reasons why I love science fiction uh, is that it, it, it highlights um, a lot of the humanity uh, of, of the characters of, or of the stories in the absence of humanity. Uh, and we want to do that with Descent into Midnight. I think in this context too, it also suggests that uh, the people making this content believe that these are universal values and universal Mm. ideals that transcend uh, humanity. Um, And I think that that is also good, but that is probably, well, I think that that's a really good artistic space to inhabit and a good message Mm -hmm. to send because uh, I know that from my own perspective, my obsession with robots and things like that is that I am often worried (laughs) that we let our media depiction of robots prejudice prejudice us against a future that might be a better place because of the fact that we're like, 
robots are all going to be evil and want to kill us. I'm like, we did that. We make (laughs) robots. If they come into existence and are of human-like intelligence, if they hate us, it's because we made a bunch of movies about how they're going to kill us. And they were like, whoa, hey, I didn't even exist yet. (laughs) Wait a, like, whoa. (laughs) Uh, So I think that there is a sort of a similar kind of uh, energy to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, We've been talking for a while. Um, We have. And I... Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say I wanted uh, to hear about uh, some of the aspects of the project and some of the things that are coming up with the Kickstarter mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you are really excited about. Um, Hell yeah. I wanted to give you an opportunity to shout out like, oh, this is an aspect of this that we're doing that is really cool. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I maybe really some wanna... people that are working on the project as well. Exactly. Feel might be might might deserve a bit of a shout out. Yeah, God, we have a stellar team working on Descended to Midnight, and it would not be as amazing of a game as it is without their help. Um, so I know that I've shouted out Rich Howard, Richard Kreutzlandry, who are my co-developers for the game. Um, we we have a team of spectacularly talented folks uh, who are working um, to to make this game, uh, you know, incredible um, and. You know, I I think talking about how great this team is is going to make me excited about talking about our stretch goals um, because those are also very cool. But I'm going to talk about our team first. Uh, and you know, we we have these folks shouted out on our Kickstarter page um, and online as well on our website. Um, you know, I I can't say enough great things about um, about Tracy Barnett, who has been our Kickstarter consultant and also, uh, our like content editor for the game. They have put in so much effort to make our Kickstarter a success. Um, like, uh, a large part of why we funded on day one is their help for the past couple of months, you know, making sure that we had all of our resources lined up, that everything looked great, that everything was presented great, that, that we, you know, reached out to the people that we needed to reach out to, um, and that we are, you know, running our campaign, uh, you know, to the top of everything. Um, in addition, they are doing a great job at getting the game r- ready for release. Like e- the three of us, uh, Rich, Rich, and Rich, Richard, and I have been doing a great job at getting the game written and made. Tracy is giving it the polishes making sure that every section is where it needs to be, that every section has what it needs to have. Um, and, you know, they they are kicking ass at that and doing a fantastic job. So um, I want to give them a shout out. Uh, I also want to shout out our art director, Palomi, um, who has, you know, taken on all of the work of saying, you know, what what illustrations do we need? What does it need to look like? How do we manage our, our artists? Um, you know, I was very worried at the logistical side of getting that part of the book production done because I have zero visual art experience or talent. So the fact that, that Palomi has been, been able to take on that, uh, is, is very, very good. Uh, our layout editor, VJ, uh, VJ Brown, who's worked with me in the past on a couple of projects, who's also doing the layout for, uh, a game of mine, 13 Demon Princes. Um, VJ is incredible. Uh, they have worked to make all of the the fun, cool uh, things on our Kickstarter look as beautiful as they do. 
um, our, our two illustrators, uh, Devin George, who did the cover art for Descent to Midnight, which is wildly cool. Um, it is my desktop background right now. It, it rules. Uh, it's also the video and the thumbnail or the thumbnail of the video of our Kickstarter. Um, Devin played in one of our, our games at a catacon and, um, you know, we've, we've been in love with, uh, with her art. Um, our other illustrator who's doing our interior art and that's the like really cool sketch style, uh, digital art that's all over our Kickstarter, like interior page, um, is, uh, and I'm going to get emotional here because he is my best friend since kindergarten. Um, we've been playing games for 18 years now together. Uh, he is Taylor Livingston. Um, he, uh, he has the coolest art like in the entire world. Uh, I love him so much, both as a person and as an artist. Um, having him on this project with me is v- very wholesome and affirming t- to me. It, it, it tells me that I'm doing something right in this world, that we are collaborating uh, on a project for something that, that really made our friendship strong. Uh, he, he and I have been gaming, like I said, for, for almost 20 years now. Um, and like, I, I'm going to ramble forever about Taylor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that you've really spoken here to like the love and connection that is flowing through this project and the, the strength of that, um, of this creative, uh, community that you have built this creative family that you have made for this project. Um, and I think that it speaks really well to, uh, probably what has helped make this game so amazing and this Kickstarter so successful yeah. so far. There is, I, you have reminded me of something that I noticed in your artwork um, for mm-hmm. the game. I was on the website and there was the, I can't remember what it was specifically called on the website, actually. Um, here we go. So there's the standard hardcover and then there's the mm-hmm. limited edition hardcover. Yeah. Um, the limited edition hardcover art reminds me so much of the, I think they're called glyphs in the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson, um, where they are they're these almost artistic interpretations of words, and it's mm. one of the culture, the dominant culture of the setting. Um, it's the only writing that men are allowed to learn how to read culturally mm. because it's actually not writing; it's a picture, but like. It's a. It's also a word, and it's a word that looks like an image, and it very much mm. reminds me of that. And it's just such a a really cool piece of work in that it is evocative of a crab and the ocean and a bunch of other stuff, while also kind of looking like maybe it's meant to be a specific yeah. symbol for something. Um, I just sort of wanted to tr- call attention to how cool <laughs> that looks. Yeah, that that limited edition hardcover looks super sick. Um, uh, Devin did that uh, that like crustacean artwork, and we we knew that we had to have that on our, our book because it it rules. Um, I I also want to shout out the fact or, or the folks who have been doing great work to make sure that our game is accessible to folks. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have uh, we have Re from the Magpies podcast uh, on our team as an accessibility consultant. Uh, who's been going over all of our materials. And then we also have two assistive technology testers, uh, Tyler Palermo from Dots RPG and Acer Tolentino from the Redacted Files Podcast Network. 
uh, Acer has been a friend of mine for a while. Um, and, and re and Tyler and Acer have been doing a great job at, uh, getting our materials available for folks who, uh, who have vision loss or who, um, who are blind, who, who need to use screen readers, uh, and have been working with our web developer, Will, uh, who also has done a great job at making our website just like generally beautiful, uh, but to make it, um, so that anyone can, can get onto it and get the game. Um, so we were super, super grateful for their work there. Um, I don't necessarily know the timeline for it, so it may or may not be out by the time this episode goes live, but um, we do have a quick start version of our rules that's up right now, uh, and we will have accessible uh, copies of that quick start edition too uh, as part of our campaign for folks. Um, the last person that I want to shout out as part of our core team uh, is Ishan. Uh, Ishan Sherwood, who is our copy editor. So once we have the game text finalized, Ishan is going to um, is going to take it and make sure that that everything, all of the words, uh, are are finished, polished, and perfect. Uh, and so we're we're very excited to get it into his hands. Yeah, fantastic! It's again so many are uh, cool and interesting uh, and talented and skilled people working yeah, on yeah. this project. Um, it's, uh, amazing. And I cannot wait, uh, to see the stories <laughs> that this game helps tell, um, for people that want to, uh, follow the game, uh, and its development, uh, as it approaches mm-hmm. release, uh, where can they keep abreast of that online? Hell yeah. So you can find us on Twitter at D-I-M-R-P-G. Uh, and you can get to our Kickstarter at dimrpg.io slash ks. Um, and we we are closing in on stretch goals right now. We have one unlocked already. Um, so uh, this is this is super cool. I can't believe that I didn't bring this up. Um, we have a professional streaming series, the Streampunks. They are a California-based uh, streaming crew um, that that have just like wildly cool series. Uh, are going to be doing an episode of Descent into Midnight per stretch goal that we unlock. Um, so at at every $5,000, uh, we are going to have some fun things that happen with the stretch goals and an episode of the streaming series. Uh, so we alternate between digital rewards, uh, and then this I'm very excited about. Um, everyone who's working on the project uh, will get a bonus for stretch goals. So... Like our first one uh, that we've unlocked already um, is a Descent into Midnight print at home coloring book. Um, so it, it's very cool for like kids or for anyone excited about, you know. Uh, oh, the man. I really want more RPG adjacent yeah. coloring books since I heard about uh, Dinosaur Princesses. Yeah. Um, um, which, is an RPG, which is an RPG printed as a coloring book. <laughs> fucking wild design, Hell yeah. design choice. Um, uh, yeah. We're also unlocking things like uh, files to 3D print or laser cut uh, your own harmony or corruption tokens. Uh, we we didn't we wanted to kind of stay away from physical fulfillment just because we've heard so many stories of that like crashing Kickstarters in terms of trying to fulfill things like T-shirts or, or even dice. super yeah. modest ones like yeah, dice. Yeah. Like we have we're gonna have red and black dice for the game, and you can. <laughs> And we'll do, and yeah, and it's like, no, nope, that was too much. It was too much. It was too far. We 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 flew too high. 
Yeah. So all of this is like, do it at like, you can yeah. do this at yourself. Like we will give you the resources. Like our, our next stretch goal at $35,000 is um, the digital files to uh, 3d print your, your tokens. Um, so you can have your own like premium tokens at home. Uh, and then at 40,000, uh, everyone gets a bonus. Uh, and then from that 40,000, we alternate between um, giving the team a bonus. And which I, I do want to say, like, I, I, I want to make a point to say that like we're we're paying everyone fair, great wages um, right now based on negotiated contracts. This is like extra, so it's not like we're saying like, well, we'll pay you this, and then if we get stretch goals, we'll pay you a little bit more. It's like, hey, we have this extra money, and we want to spread that out. Yeah. So like that that I'm very excited about. Uh, and then we have some awesome people coming on uh, as stretch goals to write. Uh, short fiction inspired by Descent into Midnight. So people like Ali Grauer from the Warda podcast, uh, Brandon O'Brien, a talented uh, game designer in his own right, um, and editor of uh, FIA, uh, magazine of black speculative fiction. Um, we we have uh, Jeff Barber. This is wild. Jeff Barber, author of Blue Planet, the yep. RPG. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am familiar with Jeff. Uh, yeah. Almost worked on a project with Jeff, which was cool. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, yeah, there's so much. And you can find links to the Kickstarter and the Twitter and the website for uh, all of this down below, as well as links uh, to Taylor's Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. And from there, you can find all the wonderful stuff that Taylor makes. It has been a joy to have you on Hell the show. Yeah. Uh, fantastic guest. Fantastic talking to you. Uh, we'll have to get you on at some point, uh, for an actual proper, uh, personal interview, um, so that we can learn more about your specific game design choices, uh, individually, uh, it has, and talk about your body of work because there is so much, uh, wonderful stuff in there. Uh, I really hope that, uh, the, that, uh, the Kickstarter continues to smash all of its goals. Oh yeah. If you enjoyed listening to this interview, uh, we have a bunch more interviews with game makers, uh, which you can find by clicking on the interview tag. Um, we also have actual plays of Taylor's, uh, two of Taylor's games, uh, which you can find uh, probably by just searching for the name. Uh, I might <laughs> put links to them in the show notes, uh, but we do have them, uh, and they were mentioned earlier in the episode. Uh And of course, if you enjoyed this content and you'd like to support me in making more content like this and making uh, more art, you can support me over on Patreon. Uh, $1 a month gets you access to everything that I produce on Patreon. There are no uh, separate locked out reward tiers. It is a one for all model. Any donation above the minimum level uh, gains you access to uh, everything that I make. Uh, So hopefully... Uh, you enjoyed listening to this episode. And again, thank you so much uh, for being on, Taylor. Hell yeah, this was amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Farewell from the past. I'm Ray.